Good morning, saints. On this all-in Sunday, I have a simple message for you. People are counting on you. Do you believe that? People are counting on you, each and every one of you. People are counting on you to make bad decisions about your money. Don't believe me? Just turn on the TV or the radio or get on the internet. There's a whole segment of our economy designed to get you to part with your money. 0% down, no payments for 60 months. They're hoping that at some point you'll forget and have to pay a huge penalty. Even grocery stores are designed to get you to spend more than you ever intended to spend. In fact, in some of the largest chains, they set up certain stores with heat sensors to figure out where you spend the most time and then they put the most expensive items in the places that you spend the most time. They call those impulse buys. Now, how many of you go to the store with a list like you're supposed to? How many of you go with a list and then have someone go with you who undermines that list? We're supposed to go to the store with a disciplined list, but they're counting on you grabbing impulse buys. They put them on the end caps of each aisle and they put a lot of them right there as you're checking out. You're standing there in the checkout line and there's a big rack of expensive magazines in front of you. Any of you ever bought one of those magazines? I wanna let you know that the stories in those magazines aren't true. Now, I've never bought one of those magazines. That is not my temptation. My temptation is not on the magazine rack, but on the rack behind me, there's a little yellow packet. It's got brown letters. Not the brown package with the white letters, but the yellow package with the brown letters. Can I get an amen, anyone? And it's just whispering to me while I'm standing there in the checkout line, Phil, Phil, you need some peanut M&Ms. And sometimes, I don't know how this happens. It's like a miracle. We'll get home and my wife is unpacking the groceries and she'll say, where did these peanut M&Ms come from? And I'll say, I don't know. Maybe when you bought a pizza, they just threw them in for free. I don't know how those got slipped in there. It's a miracle. They say there are two kinds of pain in this world. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. You got it? The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Too often we choose the pain of regret and not the pain of discipline. Isn't that true? Many of you know the name Ken Blanchard. He wrote the books, The One Minute Manager and The One Minute Teacher. Do you remember those? He never did write The One Minute Preacher, although some of you were hoping for that this morning. He tells the story of when he was going around promoting his other book, Lead Like Jesus. He had a Monday morning discipline of sending a voicemail out to everyone in his company, and it would do three things. The first thing that it would do, it would tell everyone in the company who they were supposed to be praying for that week. Wouldn't that be a great way to start your week? Your first voicemail, your first email was them telling you who we're praying for this week. 
Secondly, he would share some sort of affirmation, some sort of thanksgiving. And I want to give a word of affirmation to our All In Stewardship Journey team. They have worked so hard to get the word out to you, asking everyone to be all in, to participate, asking everyone to do something, to take the next faithful step in your journey of generosity. So I want to thank that team. And finally, he would share a devotional moment, something to inspire his people. He said one really stuck out to him. He took post-it notes and he wrote on the post-it notes the words temporarily and the words eternally. You got it? Temporarily and eternally. And then he went around his office trying to find things that had eternal significance. He looked all around his office. He looked at his big desk there in the center of his office and he asked the question, does this have temporary significance or eternal significance? What do you think? Furniture. Temporary, right? Furniture is temporarily significant. Then he looked at his inbox, that big box of papers on the corner of his desk, and he thought, temporarily significant or eternally significant? It feels eternal some days, that inbox, whether it be mail or email, but it was just temporary. Then he looked all around his office trying to find something that had eternal significance. He couldn't find anything there in his office, even though he spent so much of his time there. So he threw open his office door and went out and found his administrative assistant. He said at least there was someone who had eternal significance. We gathered together for worship today to invest in that which is eternally significant. He thought of it as just a good lesson until the day that his wife called and said, Ken, you won't believe it. Our house is burning to the ground. We've lost everything. But Ken was able to take a step back from that, to take a deep breath of the Holy Spirit and say, no, no, we've only lost things that are temporary. Why is it we spend more and more of our time investing in that which is temporary and less and less on that which is eternal? We turn today to God's eternal word in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in the 15th verse. Hear these words. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. They sent their disciples to him along with Herodian, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? And they answered, The emperor's. Then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the good news according to the Gospel of Matthew. Thanks be to God. The Pharisees and Herodians did not like each other. It was difficult to get them together on anything, sort of like trying to get the Democrats and Republicans together on something this week. They were not on the same side. They were not on the same page, and yet they got together to try and entrap Jesus with his words. They knew they had a great question, one he couldn't get out of. They wanted to trick him into saying the wrong thing, to entrap him with his words. 
And don't we love a good trap? Don't we love a good trick? There's a story told of a robber who was breaking into someone's house late one night. He came in through the back door and made it about halfway through the kitchen when he heard a noise and he looked up and there was a bird that was on a perch and it was just moving back and forth, back and forth in the kitchen and it would say, hello, hello, hello. Hello. He didn't think too much of it until he took two more steps and he heard a low growl there at his knee. And he looked down. There was a Doberman just frothing at the mouth, ready to pounce. And he couldn't move one more inch. And that bird kept getting louder and faster. Hello. 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 Finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he looked at that bird and said, can't you say anything else? And the bird said, sick him. We love a good trap. We love a good trick, don't we? We have fun with traps. Smile, you're on. Candid camera, anyone old enough to remember that? We just thought it was good fun when someone else fell into a trap. When I served the Grace in United Methodist Church, nobody loved a trap more than Miss Nancy Henderson. She used to come to the covered dish suppers with something different every time, but one of her favorites was to bake an old dry cornbread and cover it with chocolate frosting. She would then put it on the dessert table and she would just wait for some big old guy to come and get a huge piece of what looked like yellow cake. And she would observe, wait for him to take the first bite. She just loved having a good laugh at someone else's expense when he got that dry cornbread. We love a good trick, don't we? We love a good trap, especially when it happens to someone else. Jesus is asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Knowing that if he answers in one way, it's a word against the government. If he answers another way, it's blasphemy. There's no good answer that they think he can give. The Pharisees and the Herodians think that they have him trapped. And what does Jesus say? Does anybody have a coin? And upon receiving that coin, he says, whose head is this and whose title? And they answer, the emperor's. Jesus then looks at them and says, therefore, render under Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God's. That settles everything, right? Now you know exactly how to spend every dollar that you have, right? Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. There was a young man at one of the churches in Carrollton, who loved to take up the offering. He was developmentally challenged and he would walk down the aisle with the offering plate and he would come to a person on the end of the row and then he would just stand over them and wait. And if you didn't give, he'd look at you and say, aren't you gonna honor God? He loved God so much, he thought you should honor God with your giving. And he would just stand over you and you were trapped while he waited. It's funny when it's someone else in a trap like that, but it's not as funny when it's you. We love a good trap unless we're the ones who've fallen in it. There was a young man in my last church who lost his job. It was the second time in less than a year that he'd been between things. Have you ever been there or know someone who's been there or know someone who's there now? He was really struggling. So I asked him if I could take him to lunch and we sat down to eat. And after visiting for a little while, I asked him, how are things going with your family? And he told me about their kids and we talked a little bit more. And then I asked him, how are you doing financially? And he got indignant. 
he said, you can't talk to me about money. And I thought, wow, I'm sorry. I, I, I said, I'm your pastor, though. You talk to me about all sorts of other things in your life, and I can't talk to you about money. He said, that's, that's not what I meant. He said, you don't need to talk to me about money. I said, Chris, what's going on? And he said, from the time my wife and I married, we have always tithed, saved, and spent in that order. That is how we've organized our life since the time we married. If you want to talk to me about how it feels to lose a job, we can talk about that. But you don't need to worry about our finances because we've always tithed, saved, and spent. Our financial house is in order. But that's not where most Americans started, is it? Most Americans started over here. They spent, and then they, they didn't save. They spent, and then they spent, and then they spent even more. Some even borrowed to spend even more than that. At one time, the average American was spending about 105% of their annual income. In fact, one of the most aggressively marketed things to kids who are starting college is consumer debt credit cards, trying to get them to spend more money than they have, counting on them to make poor decisions with your money or their money. You've seen people fall into that kind of trap, haven't you? They were trying to get Jesus to fall into a trap, not so they could have a good laugh as, at his expense. They were trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing so that they could take his life. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And Jesus answers, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God's. The amazing thing that Jesus does in this passage is he gives us back the responsibility for our resources. He says, I love you and I trust you enough to decide what it means to render unto Caesar and to give back to God. I trust you and I give you the responsibility back. You have the choice to make about what's been entrusted to you. In Jesus, there's no trick or trap, but he invites us into a relationship. Out of love, he says, you choose. I hereby give the choice back to you. You can choose to invest in all that which is eternal or that which is temporary. Giving to God first invites us to live in discipline and not regret. Now, does anybody love a good steak? We used to have a great steakhouse in Grayson named Sydney's Steakhouse. It was a wonderful steakhouse. And occasionally I would go there to get the petite filet and broccoli for lunch. Does that sound good to anybody? The petite filet and broccoli? I would save up my money and then I would go over there and I would sit down and Kelly, the proprietor, would come over and he'd say, Preacher, what are you going to have today? And I said, I'll have my usual. And he said, excellent. I'll go get you the medium rare petite filet and broccoli. But this particular time, he came back about three minutes later and he shook his head and he said, Preacher, we are out of the filet. I couldn't believe it. I had my heart set on that. You ever had your appetite set on something that you just know you're going to have for lunch and it didn't happen? But then he said this, don't worry, there were two ladies here earlier who didn't finish their steaks and I pulled some of that out of the trash and put some mashed potatoes in the middle and I'm going to cover it up with gravy. You won't even know the difference. And I thought, ooh. And then he said, I know you like the broccoli too. And there were some kids here earlier who didn't eat their broccoli. Now those kids had colds, but don't worry, I'll have it right out to you. And I thought to myself, this is disgusting. I've come here with my hard-earned money, which I'm choosing to use to get the petite filet and broccoli, and he's going to bring me someone else's leftovers? 
How would it feel if you went out to lunch today or went and got takeout and they brought you somebody else's leftovers? What words or feelings would come to mind? Gross, yuck, disgusting. The last time I'd ever go to that place. Then I looked over and the rest of the wait staff was standing together watching my reaction and they had a great laugh at this preacher's expense. I fell into their good-natured trap. And yet I find it interesting that as Christians, we're willing to spend and to spend and to spend. And at the end of the week or the end of the month, we look in our purses or our wallets and ask ourselves, is there anything left over to give to God? And we come to this table and we leave our leftovers there. I wonder how it makes God feel when we give to God out of what's left over. I think if we'd be disgusted, if we'd be grossed out and we would never come back, you wonder how it makes God feel when we give out of our leftovers. What the Hebrew people did is that they gave out of their first fruits. When they got a bushel of apples, they gave their first bushel of apples to God's work and trusted as an act of faith for God to make good on the second, the third, and the fourth bushel. When they got their firstborn lamb, they took that firstborn lamb and gave it over to God's work and then trusted that God would deliver on the second and the third and the fourth. We are called to give to God out of our first fruits, not what is left over. But it's not an easy thing. It's seldom an easy thing to choose God first, to write the first check of the week or the month to God's purposes, to choose to give to God before anything else, to choose discipline and not regret. The Herodians and the Pharisees had gotten together to try and trap Jesus in his words. But they were not able to trap him, no matter how hard they tried. God looked down on the people that he loved, on you and on me, and saw his people, the people he loved, trapped in what some might call sin. And he sent his only son, who could not be trapped, but who chose to step into the trap and open wide the jaws of sin and death to let each and every one of us go free, not temporarily, but eternally. And then in the gracious love that he had for us, he stepped into the trap himself and it closed on his bruised and bleeding body for you and for me so that we never had to be trapped again. There's an invitation for you to respond this, this morning. An invitation from the one who stood in the trap for all of us, inviting you to be generous in your response to how you have been blessed, to be all in. Maybe you've never taken a step to trust God with your resources before. There's no trick, there's no trap, just an invitation to choose to try and give God your first fruits. It can be a challenging thing to do. And it reminds me of the dad who got the chance to go and serve in France as a college professor. He got the chance to live in France for a semester and to take his family with him. He just thought it was a wonderful thing. So he loaded up his family and they rented a chateau on a high mountain hillside. He said it was great. Every morning they would get up early and he would get a cup of coffee and look over the beauty of God's creation. Anybody ever been to a place like that where you just bask in the beauty of what God has created? He'd wake up early in the morning and then he would pack his kids in the car and he would drive them down that steep mountain hillside, put them off into their school. And before he even went over to the university where he was working, 
he would go back up and look over that valley, get another cup of coffee and just revel in the beauty of God's creation. But then as winter broke into spring, he got a great dad idea. Anybody ever had a dad that would get a great dad idea? The kind that would make mom just roll her eyes? You know the kind I'm talking about. He said he had a great idea. He found an old bicycle in their garage and he decided that he could rig it up in such a way that he could put both kids on the back of the bicycle. He thought to himself, this is going to be the greatest dad moment ever. It's going to be so exciting. I'm going to put the kids on the back of the bicycle and they're going to be able to ride down from the very top of this mountain with me on that steep mountain hillside. It'll be a thrill a minute. He got it all ready and then he put them on the bike and they just had the best time. You can imagine the wind in their hair and their hands in the air as they enjoyed that trip down the mountain. They had the best time and he got them all the way down and he set them out into their school and he just thought this was the most wonderful moment as a dad until he looked back up the mountain and thought. You ever been there at the bottom of the mountain? And you just didn't know how you got to such a low place in your life. He didn't know how he'd fallen that far. You didn't know how that mistake had gotten you in a place you didn't think you could get back up from. So he thought to himself, I'm just going to sell this bike. There's no way back up that mountain on this bike. Or maybe I can just Uber back up the mountain. I don't know. What am I going to do? But then he remembered what he always told his kids. When you fall off your bike... You need to get back on. So he got back on the bike and started pedaling through town and that was fine, that was easy. But then he started pedaling up that steep hill and it was excruciating. And as he was pedaling up the hill, the French people started whispering something to him under their breath. He couldn't quite catch what it was. He couldn't quite hear what it was that they were saying. Were they saying loser or ugly American? What were they saying? And they were all saying the same thing. Each one of them was whispering the same thing. It was a word they whispered to the Tour de France riders when they came through that same little town. They were whispering a word that sounds like a word in English. They were whispering courage, bon courage, literally to take heart. But we hear it as courage, take courage, take courage. He said it was as though strength was poured into his extremities. He was able to make it all the way back up to the top of the hill because those French people that he didn't even know were whispering courage to him. Do you know anybody who needs some courage this week? Do you know anyone who could benefit from a whisper of courage in their life? If the church isn't going to whisper courage to a hurting world, who will? So maybe the next time you're there in the checkout line, don't buy one of those magazines that isn't true anyway. And don't get that extra packet of peanut M&Ms and definitely not the plain ones. But look at the young woman who is there checking out your groceries and who is thinking to herself, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of this week or to the end of this month. And look at her and say, take courage. You're not alone. Take courage. The people of the Dunwoody United Methodist Church will pray for you. Take courage. I know the one who stood in the trap for each and every one of us so that you can be set free. If the people of the church are not whispering courage to a hurting world, who will? Do you know anyone who could use a whisper of courage this week? 
We need to be the people who pour encouragement into others so that they can have the strength to give their first fruits and not their leftovers. Will you give God your best in the days ahead? Will you be all in? Because the truth is this, people really are counting on you. People really are counting on us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may we have the courage to be all in with our faith and with our journey. Amen.